morning. My name is Johnny, one of the pastors here, and I'll be speaking to us from this passage we've just read together. Before we do that, would you join me, and uh, we'll pray again briefly uh, that God would bless this word to us. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, the privilege it is to hear it and to have you speak to us and address us. We pray that you'd help us to think clearly, to understand what you've written, and not just understand what it means, but what it might mean for us, that you might speak and address us even this morning, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You ever noticed how people, including us, we're so quick to come to God when something's wrong and when we've got some trouble. We need something because life has gone pear-shaped on us, and that's when we remember God, hoping that he'll remember us. That's certainly the story of God's people Israel, his chosen tribe who, you remember, he saved out of their slavery in, in Egypt in their cruel mistreatment. The nation of Israel, they cry out to God for deliverance. And God hears and God cares and God sends them a saviour to bring them out. That's the story of Moses and the Exodus that you read about in the early parts of the Bible. But on the flip side, almost always when things are going well, when there's peace and when there's troubles over and um, things are going fine, what you find is that people aren't so interested in the things of God anymore. Because what happens, they, when things are going well, they're busy enjoying the land, they're busy building houses and their families and cities and kingdoms of their own, aren't they? And so God gets left behind. So it seems to me God has lots of wet weather friends. You know, those friends, wet weather friends, you never hear from them for months. They don't call you to hang out with them, they don't call you to go out to the movies, but the minute they have a problem... The minute that they need a shoulder to cry on or a lift to the airport or someone to look after their dog, they know you, a good old reliable you, and suddenly you're their best friend and only friend in the world, aren't they? And to be used like that, but forgotten for the rest of the time and ignored, is not good. Now I suspect God likes it as little as we do, being treated like that. And in passages... Uh, say, like in Isaiah 65, God expresses his frustration at his own people, Israel, for this kind of behavior. Isaiah 65 goes like this. You'll see it on the screen just above you. I revealed myself, this is God speaking through his prophet, I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. To a nation that did not call on my name, I said, here I am, here I am. All day long I have held out my hands to an obstinate, stubborn people who walk in ways not good, pursuing their own imaginations of people who continually provoke me to my very face. And the picture you have there is of God holding out his hands, his arms, to a people who walk right past him, who don't even see him, because they've been busy chasing their idols instead, enjoying the gifts but forgetting the giver. May God save us from being like that coming up to Christmas this year. Now, our reading this morning was from Luke chapter 14 uh, and verse 15, and we pick up the story where Jesus is at this party, and they're eating and having a good time, and it's recorded for us in verse 15 that someone during this party, one of the guests, says to Jesus, 
Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. I wonder what your mental picture of heaven is like. Do you imagine heaven to be like a clean, sterile, white, and endless church service where you sing a lot and you just listen to sermon after sermon? I hope not. Not for all eternity. We'd do a lot better to let our imaginations be fed by Scripture. And from passages like this one where you see the kingdom of God is depicted as a feast. People in community partying and enjoying a great celebration meal together. And this eating motif isn't one just happens one off here. You see it in Genesis 2, the picture of the beginning where uh, God puts man and woman in the garden and says to them, eat, all this is for you to enjoy. And again, you see it at the end in Revelation 19, there's this mention of a great wedding banquet, the wedding banquet of Jesus that the faithful get invited to join, to eat and participate and celebrate for all eternity. Eating together, enjoying that in community and relationship over a meal with each other and with God is what we get to do today over church lunch. You're all invited to stay, of course. And it's not a bad picture of what the kingdom of God to come looks like, feels like to share in that eternal celebration. Now, this man at the party Jesus is at, Luke 14, expresses this right and good desire to get there, to make it to this party, this feast in the kingdom of heaven. He says, um, blessed is the one who will feast in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus doesn't disagree with him. But Jesus doesn't exactly give him amen, brother, either, does he? He doesn't... He doesn't He doesn't do either of those things. Instead, he issues a warning. Jesus effectively says, make sure you get there. There's plenty of room. Everyone's invited, but you make sure you get there. And the only thing stopping you being there is you. He tells a story, a parable. Verse 16. Luke 14, verse 16. Jesus says, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sends his servant to tell those who'd been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. Everything is is ready. The invites have gone out. He sends servants out to see if people are coming. He's after RSVPs. You you put RSVP at the bottom of your invites when you send out these invitations. It's French, as you know, which is fancy. And it stands for... Thank you. Répondez s'il vous plaît. Please reply. You may have had the pleasure of organizing parties and events yourself. It's super handy when people tell you if they're coming. Uh, I have this vague memory of this one party I was planning as a kid. Uh, I must have been seven or eight years old, and it was my birthday coming up. I was super excited, had all these cool games lined up. There were, um, there was party food, there was dinosaur figurines I had all set up. We're going to have a paper ball fight, and so I pre-scrunched all this recycled paper and taped it all, and it was going to be an awesome day. Only problem was, in the excitement of all this planning and and thinking about what the day was going to be like, I might have left out one small, tiny detail. In retrospect, I suspect I might have forgotten to actually tell my friends about it. So, the day comes, 
Uh, I'm super excited. I'm thinking, man, everyone's late. Where is everybody? And I don't think it was their fault because I might have forgotten to actually invite a whole bunch of people to this thing. And in the end, out of my whole group, I think like one friend shows up uh, late, my mate Paul, uh, who's probably the only guy I ended up telling about the party, and we have a great time. Uh, but what I'm getting is that our, getting RSVPs is, is not a bad idea. If you've ever organized an event on uh, social media, like you do these days, you set up a, an event on Facebook or something like that, and you put the details in, the date and the time and the place and a short description of the event, you can put a photo up, and then you go and invite everybody. You add everybody to that address list, and they get a notification, don't they? And when they see your notification, they can choose through RSVP right then and there. They can click on, yes, I'm coming, no, I can't make it, or maybe. Giving people the option to RSVP as maybe coming is not useful at all, is it? I have no idea why that's even an option, especially as the organizer, when you see as many maybes as yeses or nos, what are you supposed to do with that? Are you coming or are you not? It's not that hard. The master of this banquet sends his servants out to ask people if they are coming. And watch as the excuses roll in at the last minute. Second half of verse 18, Luke 14, 18, part 2. They all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Really? A field is not going anywhere, is it? And don't tell me you didn't don't tell me you went and bought this piece of land without having seen it first. No one does that. And you would have gotten that invitation a long, long time ago. You couldn't organize to go and see this thing that you've bought some other time. It has to be right now. Please. Right, the second person has an even better excuse, verse 19. Another said. I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. I've got to go arrange my cutlery. I've bought five what is it, plastic bottles, and I want to see how they look. Well, if you want to go get some work done, fine. You want to take your oxen and plow a field or take them for a spin, that's fine. Just say so. Don't make excuses. And probably the number three person has the best excuse of all. Verse 20. Look at it there. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. Happy wife, happy life. Sorry, I just got married. My family comes first. You know how it is. Now, God does want us to work hard at our marriages, but at the same time, I know how easy it is to use marriage and, and family as an excuse to get out of things that I didn't want to do anyway. It's even easier when you have small children. I like the fact that I get a whole pass for just about anything these days because people cut you a fair bit of slack when you have a newborn. Uh, some of us are very good at leveraging almost any angle we can get, especially when the excuse sounds legitimate. Do you notice how nauseatingly polite these people are, though? These people who reject the master's invitation to come. They say things like, please excuse me. I'm preoccupied. I'm otherwise indisposed of. So sorry. Can't come. Because when people reject Jesus, only a small percentage of people reject him with violent and outright rejection, in my experience. That aggression often isn't there. 
I suspect most people reject Jesus by just ignoring him, fobbing him off, postponing the decision to think about him seriously, and they fill their lives with any and everything else in the meantime. And the three excuses in this parable are more common than you might think. Because there's lots of people fully occupied with property and assets, with work, and with their relationships. And those things are all good things too, which is why they're such attractive preoccupations. But when assets and, and work and family become idols for us, when these good things take over, there's no room for God. And we aren't interested in coming to this banquet, are we? Joyce and I were having this conversation the other day. Our daughter Evie is going to start school soon. Uh, come the new year, uh, she'll be in kindy, and that's going to be uh, a change to our family dynamics, to say the least. We've also got little Lockie, too, who's only four months. And now with two kids, I know some of you have um, much more than two kids, but even with two, we're starting to feel like we've got our hands full all the time. You know how it is if you've been there. Joyce and I, we're talking, it could be so, so easy to devote the best part of our energy for the next 18, 20, 25 years, pouring our lives into Evie and Lockie and into the rhythms of family life, because those things are always going to want more attention. You can always do a better job. With school and with uh, extracurricular activities and with paying off the mortgage and with squeezing in some holiday trips between school terms and, and then date nights when we can get babysitting, I, I could very easily imagine life just flashing by very, very quickly. You all told me before, those of you who have older kids than me, it goes like that. At that pace comfortably with all these pretty normal things that we feel the pull of, which capture our hopes and our dreams and these things that we see for ourselves moving forward. But the kids' education and our house and Joyce going back to work and some holidays, those things could so easily preoccupy us. Those things have so much more to do with our culture here in the northwest suburbs of Sydney than anything to do with Jesus. What of the kingdom of God and this banquet that we've been invited to? How does that invitation from God shape all our other priorities? And am I starting to make excuses? Getting pulled along in the direction of our culture. In this story, you see the master's response to his guest's rejection. Verse 21. You see how he feels when he's rejected like this. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the street in the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, said the servant, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes, compel them to come in so that my house will be full. If I'm tracking the events of salvation history right, the invite first goes out to the Jews, the people of God, who God saved to be a people to be his very own, the people he gives his law to, who he establishes as his people, and who he reveals himself to, because they're human, which means they're sinful. As you look at the Old Testament, many of them take God for granted and ignore him 
and they walk away. But the banquet isn't called off. And the party's going ahead with or without you. The invite goes then to the rest of us, to the rest of the world, to come. And this isn't because God is needy, as if he has to have people around him in order to feel loved. No, God doesn't do it this way because he needs us. God does it this way because of his character. He's so big-hearted. He's so much a part of who he is to extend his love and to restore and to invite so that we can share in his goodness. And it's us who get to benefit from that. Very few of us here this morning are of Jewish extraction, I suspect. We are the spiritually poor and crippled and blind and lame. The people who are without God and without hope in the world. And in this story, no one comes who can pay their own way. As you keep reading in this story, when people come from the streets and the alleys outside, when they've all been brought in, there's still room. The master says, go out again, go further, out into the countryside far and wide to invite whoever will come to join this banquet. It doesn't say that everyone comes in, but there's still room for more. Because God wants his house to be full, he sends people out again to go further and further, to compel people, it says, to come in to this party. And you see something of God's heart in this story, don't you? That he is about inviting and including and bringing in. That is part of his heartbeat, and I think it should be part of ours. The servants are sent to go. We're sent to go to bring people into this party, to let them know that other people are welcome. To compel and to convince and to persuade people to come in. From Pano Life to Nepal. Uh, you read uh, Ellie's update from Nepal. She, writ the, she wrote the column this week and her impressions of the week she spent over there so far. From Pano Life to Nepal, from Baptist Care to Prison Fellowship and everything in between. Our formal ministries here at church, like youth group or play group, or your informal relational contact with the people in your world, we are on about bringing people to the party, so to speak. Because people need that, and God wants people to come so that they can enjoy the best life possible with him. So, you know, I think that's got to be the focus of my family life. My work life uh, is pretty set in some ways. Uh, I work as a pastor for a church, so my nine to five, I feel like I'm doing something for the kingdom of God. But my family life, what I do with my assets and, you know, all the other downtime that I have, I think the focus of my family life has to be more so than getting Evie and Lockie to be able to swim or play an instrument or do good in school. What Joyce and I need to be doing is whatever we can to help them get to God's party. Modeling it and, and talking to them about it and exposing them to things that will help them get there. And kids are cluey. They're like sponges absorbing things that they don't even understand sometimes. So what am I communicating about what's really important in life by the choices that I'm making, by the patterns they see in my life? Instead of our assets being a distraction, the question is, 
How willing are we to use what God's given us? Our work and our property and the choices we make around those things. How willing are we to make use of those things in strategic ways to grow God's kingdom? If you're starting out or if you're downsizing, for most of us, having a mortgage in Sydney is a given. So the question should be, where should you get that mortgage if you're going to get one? Where should you live that would be strategic in helping other people come to God and to build God's church? It can't just be about where the good schools are because education is not going to save the world. Jesus does that. Now, if you're in that space, if you're seriously considering where you and your family should live and you're open to the challenge of it, you know, Pano Church, we're quite serious about church planting and revitalization. We're looking to raise a team who are ready to go in the next couple of years wherever God would give us the opportunity. So if you're keen to explore that possibility and you haven't already made yourself known to John or myself, come talk to us today. The final warning is this. Don't get in your own way. Jesus' last word in this account is quite full on. It's said... Uh, It's a word said to those who say no to his invitation. Verse 24. This is how the story ends. Jesus says, I tell you, not one of those who were invited but said no will get a taste of my banquet. And it's not because they weren't invited. And it's not because they weren't welcomed there. It's because they made excuses. It's because they didn't accept that invitation. If you're someone who hasn't yet made up your mind about things when it comes to God, and you're here this morning, don't delay any longer. Come. Or if it really is a lack of information that's stopping you, or a burning question that you can't ignore, then ask. Don't put off finding out, and don't wait for some disaster or trouble to hit before you're humbled enough desperate enough to seek him. God wants you to join him now in the best life there is, now and forevermore. Amen.